A reading from 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 13. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disrupted and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So there was a big job interview recently and reaching the end of the interview, the HR officer asked the young engineer fresh out of MIT, so what starting salary are you looking for? Oh, something in the region of 150,000 a year, depending on the benefits package, the engineer said. So the interviewer asked, well, what would you say to a package of five weeks vacation, 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental, company matching retirement fund to 50% of salary, and a company car leased every two years? Say a red Corvette. The engineer sat up straight and said, wow, are you kidding? The interviewer replied, yeah, but you started it. <laughs> oh, welcome to Gateway Online, everyone, and happy Labor Day. What a strange Labor Day this is, huh? Labor has been so different for so many of us over the last few months. I, I just heard recently that a survey, uh, recently done, revealed that we are working on average three hours more per day than we were before the pandemic. I don't know if that's accurate for you, but wow. Plus, we're less sure how to take vacations. That's a deadly combination. And we're all starting to wonder how or if we get back to work and get back to something like normal. I mean, don't you have the feeling that there will be some permanent changes to the way we work? In the midst of all of this, what do you think God has to say about our work? Well, an important part of that message was in the passage that was read for us this morning. And in that message, we get a surprising affirmation of work. Well, before we look at that, did you see the 2008 movie version of Pinocchio? It's a real-life adaptation of the classic story starring Bob Hoskins as Geppetto. It was set in the late 1800s, and Geppetto is an Italian woodcarver who creates a boy puppet named Pinocchio. So when a fairy magically gives the puppet life, Geppetto is completely overcome, and their first conversation leads to a difficult question for Geppetto to answer from the puppet-turned-real-life boy. Geppetto looks at Pinocchio and asks, who are you? Well, you should know, Pinocchio replied. You gave me my name. Geppetto stumbles over the boy's name. He's still shocked by what's happened. Nokio, the little boy shouted, completing the old woodcarver's thought. The puppet, Geppetto asks. No, 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 this can't be. Well, how about that, Pinocchio cried. You're the one that made me, and now you don't even recognize me. You aren't real. It's just... Geppetto couldn't finish. He was still struggling to believe. Yes, I am. I'm a real boy, Pinocchio corrected him. Well, my heart is still made of wood, but 
when I hear it beat properly, then I'll be real. That's what the fairy said. This, this is too much information for poor Geppetto. The fairy? You mean there's a fairy here too? Pinocchio nodded furiously. A wooden puppet comes to life, and now there's a fairy. The old woodcarver is overwhelmed. So he felt Pinocchio's arms in his face to see if he was indeed a real live boy. Soon tears welled up in his eyes. You're alive. Do you understand? You're alive. And, and Geppetto turned to look at a portrait of his late wife that hung on the wall. If only you were here, you could see him too. He's alive. Pinocchio then happily repeated Geppetto's verdict. I'm alive. Then a pensive look came over the face of the puppet turned boy. What do you mean I'm alive? He asked. What does it mean? Well, unless I'm going mad and, and this isn't just a dream, it, it means you have a life to live, Geppetto explained. And, and what do you have a life for? Pinocchio asked in return. Well, Geppetto struggled to answer this question and eventually said, I'll have to think about it. Well, we're going to look today at a, a, a section from 2 Thessalonians and, and find a, a somewhat surprisingly, at, at least a part of the answer to Pinocchio's question, what do we have a life for, is somewhat surprisingly is that we have a life so that we can work. Now, Paul was pretty insistent in this passage, wasn't he? He began, now we command you. And he's pretty clear. At one point he says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So on Labor Day 2020, there are two points about work that God makes from this passage that we should not miss. Point number one, it is essential that all of us contribute. So all of us must work. In other words, our work is essential. And by essential, I mean it's both critically important and it's a fundamental part of what we are to do as Christ followers. First of all, it's a fairness issue. We are all part of a community, so we should do our part. Again, the one who doesn't work doesn't eat, Paul said. We talk a lot about community here at Gateway. Our deepest need is to find a sense of real connection with others, to be loved by others, and to love others. And sometimes we're pretty bad at finding it, so we have to be reminded of its importance. At least I have to be reminded. It's interesting that Paul makes work a community issue. We all must do our part, he insists. But more than a fairness issue, this passage speaks to the importance of work as it relates to our spiritual lives. Work is a part of our God-given responsibility. It's a part of God's design for us. The one who is idle does not live according to right teaching. Paul literally says they are not walking according to the, quote, traditions that you received from us. Look, Genesis 2 gives us the story of the creation of human beings. After God created Adam, he put him in the garden. And verse 15 of Genesis 2 says this, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Work is a part of how God designed us. Or we might say he designed us for work. In fact, work is such an important issue for Christ followers that Paul commanded the Thessalonians to shun people who are not accepting their responsibility to work. Listen, in my experience, being part of churches over the years and in my experience leading a church, I think we spend too little time affirming one another for work. Now, certainly Northern Virginians have a tendency to overwork, and certainly we sometimes allow the work-life balance to tilt too heavily in the work direction. But work is a good thing. 
earning a living and contributing to society are good things. Having money so that you can invest in other people and in God's causes are good things. This is what God designed us to do. Several years ago, I had a chance to spend time with a church consultant named uh, Doug Murin. Doug made a fascinating point related to our topic today. He said he believed that 20% of the people involved in church should do most of the work of the church. He believed of the whole congregation, 10% of congregants are just too unhealthy to carry much of a load. Another 10% are too new. The remaining 60%, he believed, are people who will and should spend most of their time and energy in the marketplace. And here was the very interesting point. He claimed that this 60% were usually made to feel guilty because they didn't do more for the church, when in fact, He believed that it was the church's responsibility to do more to encourage them to do what they were already doing, only better. If we listen to Paul's teaching, and we certainly should because it comes from God, then Doug Murin might be right. I I don't know that his percentages are right, and they weren't based on anything other than his experience, I don't think. But I do believe that there may be a percentage of you that I owe some kind of an apology If you've been made to feel guilty about how much you work and how little you do for Gateway, then I apologize. You should be affirmed for your work and we should learn how to equip one another to work even better. That means we should be even more productive and more efficient at work. We should have more integrity toward our jobs, not just in how we do our jobs, that's certainly true, but we should have more integrity toward our companies, toward working hard, and frankly, We should try to make even more money. Remember, one, your work is a part of how you invest in our fellowship. It's how you contribute, Paul says. And two, your work is a significant part of your God-given design. So let's just take one moment right now and pray for for workers uh, at Gateway. I appreciate that Brett has already prayed for our school teachers. Let's expand this prayer beyond that. And I want you to join me here for a second. Pray for yourself and for those around you who, who, who work. Father, we want to honor the work that you have given us. We believe that you have placed us in our school or in our company as a, as a project manager or as someone in the medical field or as a security guard or wherever you have placed us, Lord. Uh, This amounts to a calling from you. And God, we pray that you would help us to more and more integrate our our faith and our connection with you into our, our life as a worker. I also pray, Lord, that you would and grow our self-discipline and increase our integrity in how we do work, work and also in, in how we represent our company. Father, make us more productive. Make us more efficient. We pray that everything that we do as a, as a work person would, would essentially remove barriers, that, that we would not, there would not be any dishonor to your name because of how we do our job. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's keep going. 
Uh, these Thessalonians are a particularly fascinating case. Remember this passage comes from 2 Thessalonians, Paul's second, Thessal second, second letter to this church. Why was idleness such an issue for this fellowship? Why weren't they working? Most scholars believe that a group of these early Christians from Thessalonica were being idle because they had an over-realized eschatology. Now, eschatology is a fancy word for the study of the end times, meaning the end of human history as we know it, meaning the second coming of Jesus. Literally, these people thought too much about this topic. They worried about it, and some of them even wondered if it had already happened. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and this is right before the passage that we read this morning already. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Isn't this fascinating? Uh, God seems to be telling us here that it is possible for our theological reflection and or the way we work out our spiritual life to actually get in the way of our productivity. Let me say that again. God seems to be telling us here that it's possible for our theological reflection and the way we work out our spirituality to actually get in the way of our productivity. We can allow our theology, if we get off track, or if we emphasize the wrong things, or if we think in the wrong way, like these people supposedly, supposing that Jesus has already come again, our theology can become an excuse to be lazy. It can enable us to be a burden to others. In the church I pastored before coming to Gateway, we had a woman who wanted to quit her job for a season in order to spend more time with God. And she was trying to raise support from among her friends to enable her to do this, to enable her to not work. I've known people over the years who have literally filled up their schedules with Bible studies or church activities, so much so that they were unable to be productive in other areas of their life. My grandmother would say they became so heavenly minded they were no earthly good. I go to a monastery a few times a year. Okay, it's a weird environment for me, but it's also a rich environment. It allows me to really get away from almost everything. But the monastic movement has been deeply criticized over the centuries, and I think well-founded. And it's even been critical of itself for the reasons that Paul talks about here. The idea of a person or group completely removing themselves from the natural flow and from work, well, it doesn't seem to be God-honoring. That's why in most places around the world, monasteries have moved away from what are called the mendicant orders or the kind of communities that depend solely on gifts or begging. They've moved away from that toward communities that are self-sufficient, where the monks do work to sustain their lives together and to even create an income for the monastery. In fact, legitimate criticism has been leveled against the idea of paid professional ministers based on this teaching. That's people like me. <laughs> now, I should add that Jesus makes an allowance for ministers being paid for their labor in Luke chapter 10. And I hope Gateway won't change its model and begin requiring all of us staff to earn their living in the marketplace. But at the very least, you should expect people who work on staff at Gateway to work hard and productively. And together, we should be careful about deciding to pay people for what can be done by those who are also earning a living in the marketplace. Let me make one side point about our relationship with our work. 
because our work is really important, because it's essential to our life and community, because it is an essential part of how God designed us, it would be beneficial for us to invest in finding work that is meaningful to us, or at least find work that we don't hate. According to a Gallup poll in 2015, the State of the American Workplace survey, uh, American workers are growing more disengaged from their work. Uh, here's what the poll found. Check out this. Of the approximately 100 million people in America who hold full-time jobs, 30% are engaged and inspired at work. 30% are engaged and inspired at work. 50% are disengaged, or what Gallup described as, quote, kind of present but not inspired by their work or their managers, end quote. The remaining 20% are actively engaged. So only 22% of U.S. employees are, quote, engaged and thriving. Only 22%. Gallup estimates that actively disengaged employees cost between $450 and $550 billion per year. Not surprisingly, disengaged employees are more likely to steal from their companies, negatively influence their coworkers, miss work days, and drive customers away. These are not the kind of workers we should be. If you're disengaged and dissatisfied at work, that's beyond the scope of our comments this morning, but we should acknowledge that that's a big deal because your work is essential. It's not an important if you hate your work or if you feel disengaged. So point number one, it is essential that all of us contribute. So all of us must work. This is a spiritual matter. All right, as we said, Paul has another critically important point to make. Point number two, work also facilitates our ministry. Work facilitates our ministry. Paul mentions two ways in which work facilitated his ministry. One, his work allowed him to contribute, that is not to be a burden to anyone. And two, his work allowed him to be a model to them. Okay, first one, Paul's work and ours facilitates our ministry because it allows us to positively contribute. We are not a burden to anyone. Check out the second part of verse 7 and verse 8 from the passage. We were not idle when we were with you, Paul said, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul worked so as not to be a burden to anyone. He did not want anything to stand as an impediment to the Thessalonians hearing the message of the love of God expressed in Jesus Christ. Hey, you know, that Paul is kind of a freeloader. He did not want anyone to think anything like that. He wanted nothing between his influence and their hearts. He makes this point even more clearly in his first letter to them. Listen to this. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Well, the same is true for you. Through your work, you make a contribution to society at large and to our fellowship. Because of your work, you are not a burden. 
This means you can communicate God's love to others in a way that is unencumbered. So first of all, our work facilitates our ministry because it allows us to positively contribute. But secondly, Paul's work facilitated his ministry and ours does as well because it enabled him to be a model to the Thessalonians. Chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Check this out again. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. And now let's add this. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Now, you may be thinking, I'm not like Paul. I'm not, I'm not some missionary in some foreign country. I'm just a project manager. But, but that's where you're wrong. You are a missionary. You're a missionary to a culture that is self-reliant and sick with the cancer of materialism. Look, many of your coworkers really believe that they will be content and fulfilled if they can just achieve the right arrangement of comfort in pleasurable circumstances. That's it. They'll be completely happy then if only their circumstances would change a little bit here and a little bit there. This thought may not be front and center, but it's, it's just under the surface. And it's a fool's errand, isn't it? Our circumstances will never perfectly align. And even if they could, we don't control that. And, and that's not the problem anyway. So you are a missionary to a culture that really believes this insidious delusion that if we could just rightly arrange our circumstances, then all would be well. God has parachuted you into the middle of that culture and asked you to serve and to encourage and to demonstrate. Your work is your cover. It allows you to be a model to others. Your work gives you credibility. It allows you to say, hey, I'm just like you, but I have this hope in me. It's different. I have this peace in me that doesn't depend on my circumstances. I'm just like you. I've got the same kind of bills. I've got the same kind of pressures, the same kind of distractions, but there's something that keeps me centered. There's something that, that both keeps my head just above the worry line on the one hand and that prevents me from abdicating or giving up on the other. Can I tell you what that something is? Your work gives you the opportunity to give that speech or something like it. In this way, your work facilitates your ministry. So go do it. The... Uh, the great reformer Martin Luther was once approached by a working man who wanted to know how he could serve God like Luther. Luther asked him, what's your work? The man said, I'm a shoemaker. And much to the cobbler's surprise, Luther said, then make good shoes and sell them at a fair price. Your work is essential. It's how you contribute. And as such, it's part of God's design for you. Plus, your work facilitates your ministry. Let me end by leaving us with a couple of questions. I'd really love for you to just cogitate on these. Maybe talk about them with someone who watched this with you or someone you get together with this week. Uh, how have you felt God's pleasure in your work? How are you seeing God at work in your work? How are you creating opportunities at your work for those that are less fortunate? And how about for younger people, people younger than yourself at the workplace? 
And finally, are you consistently thinking of your work as something that facilitates your ministry? Happy Labor Day 2020. Your work is essential and it facilitates your ministry. So thank you for what you do. Let's end in prayer. Father, thank you for drawing together people who work hard and work well. I pray that you would affirm them, Lord, with the reminder that you're in that. That's part of their ministry. That is a part of their purpose. Father, I pray that you would encourage that. Oh Lord, thank you that you have given us jobs so that we can contribute. And God, I pray for all of us that uh, you would create opportunities for rest this fall, that we would not overwork in our work. Help us to find the right balance, Jesus. We surrender this all into your hands. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.